Yep, you're alive. Psalm 119, verse 121. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes will my eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Therefore, I love your commandments. Above gold, yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Very nice. Are you leaving early? I thought you said you were coming late. You're leaving early. Oh, okay. Well, then when my mom leaves, I've already, uh, she knows that she's supposed to stand up and yell and say, I hate this class and run out. But anyway, okay. I'm Good to have you. I thought you said you were coming late. And so I told everybody you'd be here at 540. Okay, whatever. All right. Um, let's see here. I got a couple things. The first is Isaac in Uganda. And I will repeat this on Sunday for people that don't attend online for the Bible study. Isaac in Uganda, about a month and a half ago, sent me an email. And he said, not actually about three months ago he said I have a piece of property and I want to build a house and uh, then about a month and a half ago he sent me an email and he said um, uh, I'm ready to build a house and here's the design I want and uh, it will be used people can come and stay with me etc all this kind of stuff anyway he said um, um, that's just telling you we're live um, he uh, I said to him what I want you to do instead of asking for money the way he did with the school and saying, well, we need $2,000 for the foundation and we need $1,500 for the walls. And then after that, he says, we need $7,000 for a roof. I said, I want you to get all your people and give me a price for the house that you want to build. And so Isaac wants to be a homeowner. He owns a piece of property. Uh, this is a part of the ministry because obviously he's, he is the ministry over there in Uganda. And he gave me the breakdown. So if you want to help Isaac build his own house in Uganda, the rooftop is 1,900. The roofing, uh, the building to the rooftop is 1,900. The roofing is 3,400. Shuttering is 4,000. Plastering and floor plus painting is 5,000. Electricity and wiring plus water plumbing is $722. So he needs to have his own home in Uganda, and I would love to see people respond and offer to help him with this, uh, $15,022. And that's all it'll take. Um, I got an email from Remy, who is in um, the Philippines, and she uh, uh, she's settled down uh, since her husband died, and now she's um, got a cause. And I could have just gone and helped her, but I helped a few people in uh, Pakistan this past week, and I thought maybe somebody would want to help her with this. I'm not going to read the whole email, but a few weeks ago I met this young lady, 16 years old. She's a rape victim. And then she explains who, how, etc. Um, uh, I'll skip that. Uh, they've been hot, sought, had sought help from social workers here already. They had approached everyone they knew for financial assistance, and now they're at a dead end because everyone had given and could not give any more. Uh, this is a really small amount of money, but in the Philippines, it's a lot of money. Uh, they were told that they only had two sessions left before the judge would read the verdict: one in September and one in October. It costs them 10,000 pesos each time they travel from Iligan to Bohol. 
okay? This is a young lady that is trying to get her life sorted out after having been raped, and uh, if you knew the circumstances, they're terrible. And she sent all of the documentation, all of the court, everything. She sent everything so that uh, it's uh, something she wants people to know this is on the up and up. I'm writing in prayer uh, that people could help extend. Uh, 10,000 pesos is $180, so she needs $360. And what I would ask is if somebody, because it's not that much, if somebody wants to help her with that, to email me without committing, um, because if I get four people that say, I'm sending you this money tonight, then I'm gonna have too much money, and I don't wanna do that. So uh, if you email and say, I wanna do this, the first email I open that says, I'll help with this, if it'll cover the whole thing, then that'll be it, and I'll tell everybody else after that, or I'll say, I've got $100 and I need 260 more, whatever, because I don't want people to overcommit for something like that. With Isaac, I don't think that would be the case, but with her, it might be. So um, those are two people that you can help if you are available, uh, if you can do that. And then I have one more thing that's very interesting um, that I want to read you. And this is from Daniel, Daniel Higgins. He's over in the UK. I first met him when he was, uh, he'd watch online, he was a missionary in Malta. And he uh, emailed me about Acts chapter 10. He needed help with Acts chapter 10. Um, and I gave him some uh, stuff on that. And uh, he wrote this, and I just thought it was so fun that I'd read it to you. On the 25th of October, 2016, the birthday of our one-year-old puppy, I asked you for the first time notes on Acts chapter 10. And then he gave me the thread, which I don't keep emails because I'd never be able to find him anyway, but he attached his email from 25 October, 2016. Uh, he said, the Lord has blessed us so much since then. He is one of the people that publishes the daily commentary. Uh, one lady does it um, with a scrolling commentary, Acts, and you can go on YouTube and watch it, and it has music, and you can read it as it scrolls, okay? And then Wade in Washington posts it to Sermon Audio, so you can get it that way. And there are all these different ways of getting the Acts commentary, but Daniel reads it on the Bible in 10 podcast, BibleIn10.com, and every day he's been doing this for a long time. He's it's a great voice. Great voice. It's a wonderful voice. And if you just want to listen to the daily commentary, send me an email and I'll give you that link again. And uh, then you can get that. He'll send it to you, the link, or you can just go there each day and read it. But um, he does this every single day. He's done the entire X commentary so far. But he said, the Lord has blessed us so much since then. Somehow, he managed to communicate to me via Acts 10. I don't remember how that we should leave Goza, Malt Gozo Malta on February 9th. And he blessed us with our fourth child on that day too. So he left as a missionary from there. Incredible that now on the 25th of August, 2022, I'm asking you for the Acts 10 verse one, exactly 70 months later to the day. 2,130 days since, uh, or 71 times 30 biblical months. So uh, it's exactly 70 months later. And he's, he's just showing us how the Lord weaves our lives together. And I never would have figured something like that out, but he, uh, he uh, said, with that said, I'm ready for 28 August, Acts 10.1, please, which he, uh, I sent him, and he got it put online the day next day, and so there it was, and uh, there you go. And he said, God bless you and your people in Florida and beyond to all the ends of the earth, Daniel, Nikki, Elsa, Samuel, Joel, Grace, and Clara the puppy. And what he did about uh, maybe two or three chapters ago, he reads it. It's a beautiful thing. He's got music in the background, but two or three chapters ago, he started having his daughter read the verse at the end of the commentary, which was a sweet, sweet touch. And then he got his son to read half of it. So he's got his daughter and his son reading the verse at the end of it. And 
they're really young. So the son, you could tell the first couple times he was very scared of doing this, but it's a nice touch. And then a day ago, he had Cornelius hearing from an angel. And so the children read the verse, and then when the angel responded, it was Daniel. So it was, it was beautifully done. So anyway, I just thought I'd read those to you. Wonderful stuff. And uh, if you can help uh, Remy with that young girl in the Philippines, let me know. Isaac, if you want to help him, it's going to be a while before we get all the money he needs. But if you want to help with that, let me know, and I can tell you how to send him money. And uh, that would be a real blessing. The guy is blessed hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the past years. He's, he's unbelievable. He's always handing out Bibles. He's building homes for people when he doesn't have his own home. He's building, you know, outdoor toilets because they only had, you know, a hole in the ground. And so he's done so much for so many people. So if you can help Isaac, please do. Um, with that said, I got a couple prayer requests and then we'll get started. People have asked about Emma who had a stroke. Uh, uh, today I found out that she's doing better. She's still struggling, but she is walking on her own. Uh, she's, she's progressed greatly, but there's a long way for her to go. That's all they could give me on it because she's only come twice to the restaurant and I have not heard from the mother. But Emma's doing better. Keep praying for her because it's going to take probably two or three years for her to get completely rewired in her brain. So that's important that we keep praying for her. I've got a friend in Germany. His name is Lothar. He's had cancer for six years now. And despite that, I thought I would never see Lothar again. And he decided he's coming to America. He came to America a while ago. He's been in Roanoke, Virginia, visiting somebody. And he came down. He's here today. So we're very happy to have Lothar here for today. He'll be at the missions on um, Saturday. And then he'll be here for church. And right after church, he's heading back to Virginia. But uh, keep praying for Lothar as we have. Uh, he still has cancer. Tom still has cancer. So we want both of them to continue to be prayed for. And um, it was funny what happened. Lothar arrived. Uh, he got off the plane, got a car, and he came down. And um, uh, it, my son called. I've been telling my son, when you have a free day, please call and let me know I've got a tree to take down. And it's a very dangerous tree. Lothar will tell you this. It was very dangerous what we were doing. And uh, uh, so uh, my son called, and he said, I'm going to be there in about 20 minutes. And he had just arrived, just literally arrived. And this is a guy that's got cancer. I'm like, you know, you can help pull this branch out of the way so it doesn't take the, out this other branch of this tree. So he's holding it. Well, we cut it and the thing got stuck in the oaks. It was stuck up there. It wasn't coming down. And so Lothar's like, I'll help with this. And so here we are. We had a rope and we're pulling on it. I'm cutting. He's pulling. And uh, the rope broke twice. So we had to get a really heavy duty rope. The whole time, this was a very, very dangerous thing. But we finally got this thing down. It fell exactly where it was supposed to fall. And I'm as cut up as I can be. I got cuts all over me from the cactus that were all over this tree. But it did come down. And so Lothar, is, he's here and he's alive and well and he's working. I broke, I, I got two broken ribs. He's got, you did? No, you did. No, he said he got two broken ribs and I'm like, you didn't tell me that. But then, okay, so I want to thank him for doing that. And we have another uh, prayer request. Quest is Pat Flaherty is in the RCC and currently not doing so well. And so um, we would pray that this person would not only uh, uh, get better, but would also come to know Jesus without all of the baggage. And, you know, there are saved people in the RCC. I'm not going to question that, whether he's, I don't know, but you can be saved and not even know it. Okay, that's how convoluted they've made that religion. 
So uh, Greg and Andy emailed. Greg is doing much better. Andy is doing better. They're both fine. And he said, don't tell anybody, which I'm telling you. So don't tell anybody. We may be out of excuses for not coming to church. So it's yeah. been two months and they may show up. So we're very happy about that. And that I have not heard from Steve Blazing, but I sent him an email an hour ago and uh, Sergio absconded with my iPad. So um, we want to keep Steve Blazing in prayer as well. Because we read so many things today, I will not read this day in history so we can get into the class. So here we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for the many blessings of this life. And we pray for all those people we just mentioned and for the two needs in the Philippines and in Uganda, that your hand would be with these people and help them to uh, uh, just go forth and to be able to uh, do the things that need to be done, whether it's that young lady or uh, Isaac with a new home. Uh, we would pray that people would respond accordingly and help them to uh, just get through those things and then to get on with their lives in a happy and productive fashion. And Lord, um, we thank you for this class. We thank you that uh, Lothar is here for it safely something I never expected, and I'm very happy that, to see his face and the fellowship with him, and I know the others here are as well. Uh, Lord, we just pray that if there's anything said in this class that is incorrect, that you would lead us to a right understanding of it, because that would never be our intention, is to uh, teach something that was not according to your will. So help us in that, Lord, and we thank you for the chance to meet here. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. You're so good to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. We've got um, uh, the book of Colossians. And last week, Sergio's been asking for this verse for like 10 years. I can't wait till we get to that verse. And then he didn't show up. So um, uh, that's fine. We did uh, one verse last week, the only verse. Did you watch? Oh, you did. You listened to the study. We started, but I still have to finish it. Oh, okay. Well, then why don't you just leave and go watch it? Okay, Sergio's going to read today because tomorrow's Linda's birthday and Jim took Linda and they are out gallivanting around the nation probably. So I don't know what they're doing, but we are in Colossians and I don't have it bookmarked. So I've got, yes, I do. No, I don't. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 24, but yeah, that's a new paragraph. So you can just start right there and read. He's reading what version? NASB The NASB, 1995. Okay, good. So uh, we'll just compare the Alexandrian text with the Byzantine as we go, and uh, hopefully there aren't too many differences, but there you go. Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Wow, they took exactly the same words and just completely turned them around. Uh, instead of now I, it says I now. And you'll see as I'm reading it, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So it says the same thing. They just turned it around. So, and people will do that. You know, it, there's only so many ways you can translate certain things. So to not plagiarize, they just simply turn the words around in a different form, this clause in front or this clause behind, but it says just the same thing. Okay, um, the words of this verse have been misused by the Roman Catholic Church. No, say it isn't so. <laughs> to indicate that the sufferings of Christ were not all sufficient for our redemption and atonement. Now, imagine that. Imagine standing before the Lord and saying, thank you, what you did was insufficient, but I was able to get myself up to you anyway. Right? Imagine that. Okay? It indicates that the sufferings of Christ were not all sufficient for our redemption and atonement, and that Christ's people 
must continue to earn their way into glory. I've read the, the, the um, canons from the Council of Trent, and they say that if you say that grace is sufficient based on your faith in Christ, let you be anathema. Well, I, I, I just imagine that. And I, I know I paraphrase that, but that's the, the intent. And I could go read you those 10 or so canons that actually say that what Paul says is anathema. And then one of the 10 canons actually would say that what Jesus says is anathema. I mean, this is the Roman Catholic Church of today. Ever since Trent in 1546, I always tell people that is when they stopped being a church. They, th that's not saying there aren't people in the church that don't love the Lord, because there are. You know, I know some Catholics that just love the Lord, and they stick to the Word, and the church can't stand it. They can't stand these preachers that are preaching, and they, they want to get rid of them, but those are the most successful of their churches, and they can't. So anyway, um, uh, why somebody would want to be a part of a church that just doesn't work, I don't know, but they do it. But now that I've said that, now that I've said that this is what the uh, Catholic Church says, think about that while I read this verse again. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So they're saying that what he did was insufficient and therefore... I need to earn my salvation. And Paul is the first one to say that, and we have to follow Paul's example. Okay, that's their basic uh, guideline in the Catholic Church. Okay, Christ's people must continue to earn their way into glory. This has nothing to do with what Paul is speaking about here. That much. Zero, and not three. Zero. Okay? I, I can't make a zero with putting them down. I'm sorry. Okay, um, he begins with, I now rejoice, or now I rejoice. Okay? The Greek is more abrupt, beginning with the word now. The word now is temporal. He is saying, I am bound with a chain, and in the midst of this captivity and suffering, I rejoice. This was the case even though he was appointed as an apostle by Christ and was doing that work as an apostle. The sufferings then are a part of that apostleship, which is for you. That's Paul's words, for you, meaning those in Colossae, and thus us, because this letter is included in the Bible. So anytime he says for you in the Bible to one of his churches, he's including us. He, he, you know, Paul may not have known that he was writing scripture. I don't know. He may have just said, I'm writing to this church and had no idea that this was going to be a part of the canon of scripture. By the time Peter got, came around, Peter had equated his writings with scripture. So we can know that they had a sense that this is something that is a part of God's word. But whether Paul knew that when he was writing, you know, he might have just said, I'm just going to write a letter to the Colossians and that's it. I don't know. I don't know what was going on in their minds at the time. But because he's writing to Colossae and because these are prescriptive epistles in the Bible, it includes us. So feel as if he is writing to you when you read this. In these sufferings, he states, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I've got to make a note here. I've got an error in my typing, so we'll put that right there. Okay, the term the afflictions of Christ is unique to this passage of scripture and the intent is a fuller explanation of what is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So let me take you there and I went too far. Don't go so far, Charlie. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 5 and we're going to go to um, it says there, I'll, I'll take you to 4. This is, yeah, 
it got to be in 2 Corinthians. I was in 1 Corinthians, and if I do that, I'm not going to read you the right verse. So uh, let me make sure I'm in the right book, folks. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Okay, so uh, it, that's unique to this passage of Scripture in Colossians, and the intent is a fuller explanation of what he says in 2 Corinthians 1.5. Okay, the church is destined for suffering. Can anybody disagree with that? <laughs> I got to tell you, even in America where things have always been really, really good, we are now suffering in the church. We've got a president that is anti-Christ. He is anti-Christian in his, the very fiber of his being. Okay, and he comes out of Catholicism, which tells you something. Nancy Pelosi comes out of Catholicism. There is an anti-Christian vein that is running through these people now, and it's running through the Pope over there, okay? They have come to the point where they are completely excluded from anything which is biblical, okay? And because of that, they are getting to the point where they are actually persecuting Christians in this nation in many, many ways, okay? They're forcing, uh, this really started with the guy that is pulling the strings right now. It started with Barack Obama, but he's still pulling the strings uh, in the shadows. But he was, he said he's going to fundamentally transform America, and he has been doing that for the past how many years now? Okay, but um, they're persecuting the Christians in the military, openly persecuting them, and nobody's doing anything about it. There's no power in Congress to call him out. There's, uh, they're taking churches and they're forcing them to uh, insure people or hire people or uh, tend to people that don't share their values. They're forcing this on them. Just a day ago, a court ruling came out and said, no, you can't force this on them. So there are small victories going on in the courts, but the Congress cannot do anything because it's run by the left right now. That's why the upcoming elections, even though it's not gonna make any difference in the big you know, grand scheme of things, it is important over the short term to make sure that you vote in the right people because Christians are being persecuted and eventually we are going to not just be persecuted, we are going to be targeted in this country for extermination if things don't change. And if anybody says that will not happen, you wouldn't have said anything that's happening right now in these churches, okay? It would not have been even thought of 15 years ago, but now it is. It's something that we have to be ready for, to vote and to be able to say, I'm going to support a right cause. And morality is something that is up to every single individual. Every one of us is responsible for our morality. And if you withhold a vote when you can vote, you are taking an immoral stand. Whether you agree with that or not, that is the truth, because you are taking something that could help a cause and you're yielding it to the opposite party. So it's very important that you do what you should as a Christian in this nation, in Germany, in the Philippines. Wherever you are, you need to make your stand because there is no gaining in Christianity except on an individual level. I don't think it will ever happen again. No nation is going to come and say, we're converting to Christianity or we're going to push this. It has to be done from an individual level. So with that, okay, we have sufferings in the church. And it says, um, I'll read that again, the church is destined for suffering just as it is destined. Good part for us glory. Paul understood this, and he felt that as much as he suffered, there was an abounding of consolation to be found at the same time. <clears throat> Nothing was lacking in the process of suffering, and the consolation which he felt was surety that he possessed the Spirit 
of God. In knowing this, he was thus comforted because the Spirit is a guarantee of future glory for the believer. Hence, he notes exactly that in the book of Philippians. So we're going to go to Philippians and chapter 3. And what did I say? Verse 10, Philippians 3, verse 10, which says um, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And then he goes on in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so in being conformed to his death, which is what we're supposed to do, we shall also be raised as he was to eternal life through the power of the resurrection. There could be no shame in the suffering if there is the coming glory which that suffering leads to. Now, that's correct, and I agree with what I just said, and I typed that how long ago. There could be no shame in the suffering if we suffer for Christ, no shame if there is the coming glory which that suffering leads to. The Armenians, as a nation, were uh, taken by the Turks, and they were killed by the millions. They were crucified on streets, on cr crosses, all the way down, men and women, hanging naked, crucified. And you could say, well, what a shameful way to die. There's no, let me read it one more time, there could be no shame in the suffering if there is the coming glory that, lead, that the suffering leads to. Okay, But I will tell you this, is that suffering stinks. Not one of those people voluntarily got up on those crosses and got themselves crucified. Okay, they watched their children get raped. They watched their children get shot in the head. Okay, these things are real. These actually happened and they've happened all over the world. In this nation, we have something we can do about it. Many nations never had that opportunity. They were overrun by somebody. Well, we're being overrun right now by the devil and his army. And we are the ones that have to make a stand. It may be an individual stand by getting somebody converted. It may be a political stand where somebody joins into office and says, I am not going to tolerate this. But this is our job. As Christians, we have a responsibility to do what we can while we can do it. And so I would ask everybody to keep that in mind because these are important things. As I said, in the long run, it's going to make no difference at all. Everything is going to follow the path that it's going to follow, and eventually the world is going to go into the tribulation period. And as Isaiah says, or the Lord says through Isaiah, I will make man rarer than fine gold. It's going to be a global catastrophe like people cannot even imagine. Okay, People are worried right now about what flavor of coffee they're going to get at Starbucks and whether it had the cream on top or something. That's not, even, that's not ever going to enter their minds again someday. They're going to be looking for anything to eat. They won't, there won't even be food in dumpsters. You know, people now can go to a dumpster, and I said last week I get usually 80 pounds every day of pizza and all kinds of stuff, and I feed it to the birds. And it's every single day. It's just a ton of food that gets thrown out, and that's one little 7-Eleven out of billions of stores around America. That won't even be thought of soon, okay? So be ready for that. But... We got the suffering that leads to glory. Understanding this, believers are not to be ashamed of suffering. And we shouldn't be ashamed of anything we do if we do it in the name of Christ. If we're living our lives properly and we do something in the name of Christ, we should not be ashamed of it. Okay? Uh, I keep reading these articles in the newspaper, like that one, I think it was last prophecy update, maybe two weeks ago, where the guy didn't get his Movado watch. And he belittled his congregation. He's yelling at him. You guys didn't get me the watch I wanted for my birthday. He's degrading them publicly, okay? 
That's, I'm sorry, that, that is not the kind of thing that we want to worry about when we're fellowshipping in the church, okay? Um, uh, where is this? Um, I don't even know where I was now. Oh, yes, right here. Understanding this, believers are not to be ashamed of suffering, but instead are instructed to be willing to bear his reproach. This is what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to worry about things that we can't worry about or, or you know, you want to watch go out and earn it. Knowing that we bear all of the honor and future glory that comes with it. Like I said, we got people all over the world. Lothar and I were talking about this today as far as um, churches, you know, just how far they have apostatized from the Lord. You know, if you bring up the Bible, people get angry at you. They just want to hear something. We don't want that. You know, we just want you to give us a good sermon. He was telling me about that in Germany where he's in a church and the people didn't want to hear it. And the guy's like, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want that. And it caused a conflict in the church because he's bringing the word of God into a church. Now, how foreign is that idea to you? Because to me, it's completely foreign. This is, this is where the church stems from until Christ comes again. He's gone. He has left us this, and the church must be founded on what Christ has given us in this word. Okay? It's founded on Christ. He is the foundation. But we have to have something that tells us about Christ. Or what I'm talking about in the sermon means nothing. It's, it, I tell you about prosperity. That doesn't mean anything unless you understand the context of what Jesus is doing and what he has given us in his word. I don't understand how people could have that type of an attitude in the church, but it's out there all over the place. You go into a church and you tell them, well, you know, you're not supposed to be preaching. They'll throw you out now. They're in violation of the word of God and you're just telling them what the word says and they'll throw you out of their church. Okay, with this understanding, what we just went through, all these different things, we can then see that the words and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ mean that suffering is a part of the human experience in a world filled with sin. It's natural, okay? We may not like it because we've had it very good in America all of these years, but it is a part of the human experience, and I'm talking about church suffering. Okay, as far as humans, we all are going to suffer at some point. You ain't getting out of this one alive, okay? I'm sorry. If you think you are, you're not. For Christians, we're going to get raptured, okay? But I'm talking about humanity. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes first. And in the meantime, we get sick. We eat bad food. Our back hurts, you know? We uh, have a tree that some lughead wants to cut down when we're visiting him in Sarasota. And he ended up, poor guy. I mean, he was sweating. And I said, go take a shower. And then, oh, I'll tell you, this is worth stopping over. We're, we're, what it was is it's a palm tree, and palm trees are notoriously dangerous anyway. They're round. If you trim them, the ladder can do this on them. There's all kinds of things about palm trees that people don't realize. They're very, very fibrous. Have you ever cut down a whole palm tree? You, so you know. They're fibrous. They're very hard to cut. Okay? They're, it, no, they what? Yeah, you did. Lothar did yesterday. But um, uh, we... Uh, we cut it down, and so what I thought I'm going to do is because, oh, Hitiko's not here. Uh, shame on her because she's off today. Um, she, uh, uh, in a palm tree, at the very top is a piece of meat. It's about this long, and it's about that big around. That's called the heart of palm. Um, if you go to the store and you see a, a tin that says heart of palms, that's what that is. You okay, you can eat it. It's What does it taste like? You said it five times. He says it tastes like butter. He was filming it, and he says it tastes just like butter. It's very good. If you like bamboo, it's very similar to bamboo. 
very similar. It's crunchy, it's delicious. Anyway, so I cut that out and Lothar came out after taking a shower and I'm cutting it. Then I turned this way and I cut into the soft part and it just went all over me. It was covered in, in heart of palm. It was kind of funny. Anyway, so you had to take another shower. Another shower. But um, anyway, we got that out and so we had some for dinner last night and we'll have some for the next couple days. But heart of palm is a real treat because it's a lot of work to get out but it's very delicious and like i said you can buy it at the store some people call it swamp cabbage you might buy a can called swamp cabbage or heart of palm try it out you'll love it so okay so charlie so the, what paul is saying basically what you're saying understood is that it's not the lacking in in affliction that christ, christ. Has went through. it is that he's still alive and he still yet has to go through afflictions in his life that's right okay he's filling up in his flesh the things that are lacking this is crazy because I also did compare versions and Young's translation, literal translation, says exactly that. Say it, read it. It says, um, fill up the things lacking of the tribulations of the Christ in my flesh for his body. Okay, so, so are you saying that that reads to you as if Christ's no, suffering uh, was lacking? No, Paul needs to uh, suffer more. Okay, good, it read says, it again. Th lacking of the tribulations of the Christ in my flesh there for, you his, go. for his body. Right. So he's suffering for his for, for his body, for meaning the church. The church. He's suffering for the church. That's exact. Okay, there you go. Okay. All right. Well. Good. I'm glad you came up with that. That's a very, very good point. Um, Charlie, uh, can yes. you repeat the church suffering is part of you did a sentence? Uh, I did a There could be no shame in the suffering if there is the coming glory, which that suffering leads to. Is that what you were looking for? Another one? I think, I think so. Could you repeat that? One more time? Okay. There could be no shame in the suffering if there is the coming glory, which leads, which that suffering leads to. Make sure you okay. put Charlie Garrett. Oh uh, yeah, and just in case you do a sermon someday. Um, yeah, Charlie Garrett. Um, I, I will say something. I, I'm gonna say something because you said that. Um, I think I told Lot, so who did I tell this to this past week? Maybe it was you, somebody. Um, I, it, most people know I have a real name and Charlie isn't it. And nobody, my mom's over there. She doesn't call me my real name. Nobody calls me my real name. But my real name sounds very old English or very old. It's actually a Welsh last name, okay? But um, she, uh, uh, she named it, and the day I was born, my grandmother said, what is this name? And she said, this, this name. And my grandmother says, I will never call him that. So the day I was born, I became Charlie, and I've always been Charlie, okay? Um, and the reason why is because I have two brothers, Evan and Ethan. Get the E connection, okay? Well, there's a third E in the family. And that um, uh, confused her, and she didn't want that, so I became Charlie. And a guy likes to quote my sermons, okay? He's a wonderful guy. He's been in this church. I've talked about him several times. And when he quotes me, instead of using Charlie Garrett, he uses my real name because it sounds like somebody from the 1700s, and it sounds very professional. If he said Charlie Garrett, people would be like, why are you quoting that idiot? But anyway, so there you go. If you ever watch one of his sermons and you see that name Garrett, you'll know that it's the e, professional me. E, Eric? No, no Eduardo? No Eduardo, no Eric, no. Um, no point in saying it because I know you know it, so don't do that. It's, uh, if you go online and scroll and search it, Google it, you'll find it. Please don't repeat it in this church, okay? It's, it's a fine name, but if you had it when you were in first grade, you got very abused, and I did. Everybody would just, and so finally, before the teacher even asked, you know, they used to do the roll call on the first day of the year. Is uh, Tammy whatever here? Is Susie somebody here? And they'd get to the G, and I know I'm next. I'd say, it's Charlie. 
And she'd say, what, Charlie Gare? I, I preempted him because I didn't want the abuse anymore by second grade. Okay, we'll go on. I know. Um, okay, so here we go. And fill up in my... I want you to read Young's one more time. Do you still have it in front of you? Yeah. Okay. And uh, do fill up the things lacking of the tribulations of the Christ in my flesh for his body. There you go, for his body. Okay, they mean that the suffering is a part of the human experience in a world filled with sin. Paul's sufferings don't add to the atonement which Christ alone provided. See, if you tell people in your church that you have to suffer and you have to give and you have to do this and you have to do that in order to enter glory, hello, Miss Garrett, very good to see you. Um, if you tell people that, you now have them in bondage and you now have sway and control over them. And if you tell them that you need money to fund a new cathedral in some place where they're now establishing a cathedral, people will say, well, we need to give to that so we can buy ourselves out of purgatory, okay? This, there is a lot of money to be, you know, insurance companies, think it through. Hurricane Andrew comes through. It wipes out $17 billion worth of property. And it's paid for, and the people rebuild. Insurance companies can take $17 billion worth of loss and continue being insurance companies because it's a cumulative body of money coming in and they just keep building it up. And, well, think of this. A church doesn't have to pay for anything. They get tax-free exemption. Everything about the church is just free for these people. And it's all this money coming in and it keeps coming in and they just keep, and the smallest nation on the planet is Vatican City. They publish their own money. You make money by publishing money, okay? Everything about religion can become a, just a profit business. And every level along the way, well, you know, you give me that money and I'll buy you out of purgatory. So the priest is profiting and then the hierarchy gets a little and then the Vatican gets a little. You can see how this goes. So instead of saying what the Bible intends, which is that Christ's suffering was sufficient for everything that you need for salvation, they take this verse and they twist it, just like they do with James 2.24 and all these other verses. They twist them so that you are in bondage to them, okay? Paul's sufferings don't add to the atonement which Christ alone provided, but they rather are a natural result of what is expected in the church as it takes on the challenge of bringing the gospel to the world. Okay, I'm going to stop before the next commentary because it deals with what I'm going to, I see the word missionaries, and I'm going to tell you, I've said this before, I brought these people up as the uh, people that went to, um, where was it? It wasn't Ecuador, it was the movie, the, oh, goodbye, Miss Garrett, we love you. Have a great night. She did tell me she was leaving, so I can't be angry with her. Um, uh, it, they went down to South America. They went to evangelize the movie. The tip of the spear was made after these people. They went, oh, what's that? They went to evangelize the Alka Indians. Alka Indians, okay. And it was from um, uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Well, I'm thinking of the school. It was in Chicago. Wheaton, thank you. I knew it was a W and I, Wheaton College. And so the first missionaries went down there. They were all killed. All of them, they were all killed. And so they, uh, called a general meeting of all of the uh, people in the uh, school. Everybody met, and they said, "Our brothers and sisters have been crucified or have been uh, killed for the cause of Christ." And they said, "Yes." Just the men. Okay, the men. Whatever. Yes. They, but they said, "Our missionaries have died down there to evangelize these people." And they said, "Who will go in their place?" 
every person in that call stood up. Everybody said, I'll go. So we can expect this in the church, okay? This is what Paul is speaking of. He's not speaking about us going out and earning our salvation. Those people at Wheaton understood that they were saved, and they understood that there are people that aren't saved that need to hear this message. Thank you. It was the men, not the women. Missionaries have died. They've been tortured for bringing the message of Christ to pagan lands like the people at Wheaton. In this, they are filling up what is lacking, not in Christ's physical body, but in Christ's body, which is the church, okay? And this is what is needed. There needs to be death. There needs to be people that are, are killed in order for the message to go out. We don't know who's gonna be friendly to us and we don't know who's not gonna be friendly to us, but it is our job as Christians to go out and evangelize people. You know, I'm at 7-Eleven, I'm picking up garbage and I stop and somebody says something to me, I say, can I tell you about Jesus, okay? This is just an example, all right? And the guy says no and shoots me, right? That's filling up what is necessary for the suffering of the body. I tried, that's my responsibility is to try. Okay, that didn't happen though, I'm still alive. So don't look so shocked, Burke. Okay, uh, anyway, uh, but I'm saying that, you know, you, you, you don't know what the response of a person is going to be. There's a guy out in Seattle. It's, it's not my way of doing things, okay? But you'll get the point. This guy is out there, all these Antifa people are burning stuff and they're acting like the hooligans that they are, okay? And this, I just saw the video last week, somebody sent it to me. And so, this guy is out there and he's doing what these preachers do. You need to repent and all that kind of stuff and that's fine. You're not going to get one convert from people in that type of a setting. It's not going to happen. If one of those people gets shot and you walk over and say, you know what, I want to tell you about Jesus before you die, you might get a response. But they are feeding on each other and you are not going, the only thing you're doing is making yourself look dumb and you're bound to get killed in the process. But he's out there and somebody, one of these Antifa people grabs his Bible and he starts tearing out pages. And of course, he's recording it, and I know he's getting people to get excited about his ministry and how important he is by doing this, but the point is being made anyway, despite the goofiness of it. They're taking the Bible, and they throw it down on the ground, and they're kicking it back and forth, back and forth like a football. And he's saying, don't do that, you know, don't do that. And then one of them picks it up and runs to a porta potty and she throws it in the porta potty okay? He could have gotten killed out there, and it would have been, I hate to say it for his sake, but it would have been a pointless death because these people are not going to get converted in that type of a situation, okay? If you're gonna be non-belligerent, they're gonna be a lot more responsive. Or if you're gonna meet them one-on-one, -on -one, or if you're gonna meet them when they're actually shot or hurt, you're going to get more of a response than you will just going out in the middle of a bunch of people that are already stirred up, okay? So uh, everybody's got their own approach. I disagree with that approach. I don't think it's effective. It's not effective. But like I said, they are only increasing their wickedness by taking the Bible away and making a fool out of him, okay? So, uh, but at least he's doing something, and if he died, he would be one of these people filling up the sufferings of the body. So that's another example of this guy here as well. Paul's sufferings don't add to it. Missionaries have died. They've been tortured for bringing the message of Christ to pagan lands. In this, they are filling up what is lacking. There is a need to be met. There is a lack, okay? This person over in the jungle of Papua New Guinea is lacking Christ. That is the lack. It's not Jesus lacking, and it's not you lacking because Jesus, what he did was insufficient. It's neither of those. It is a lack in what is needed to get that person saved. The world is filled with this lack of Christ. 
we need to fill that lack up. And there are the ones who are filling that need. Ray and Jess Willett are in Papua New Guinea right now, okay? They are over there telling people about Jesus. Now, you go into some of these uh, little places, these enclaves that don't have a lot of people, and you're a novelty. And you, you are probably going to have a pretty good chance of evangelizing these people. They've been in pagan uh, life their whole life, and you're telling them that there's a better way. You don't have to kill your neighbor and all these things, and you're going to have an effect eventually. But in Papua New Guinea, just like in any place of the world, there are cities, there's cars, there's roads in certain places, and there are, by nature, thugs. Okay, And what happened to them last year? He's driving down the road. These thugs came. They hijacked him and his car, and he could have died. But he's over there doing exactly what this verse is talking about. Well, what did he do while he's being hijacked by these people? He's telling them about Jesus. He is filling up the lack, possibly in suffering. He did suffer. I mean, he had, you know, ended up having to get his car, and he had all the other things, which were very negligible. But you could even consider that suffering. You know, you get a flat tire on the middle of the highway somewhere. That's kind of like not your regular thing, right? So you got to get the tire fixed. You got to walk to the place. You got to call someone. Whatever you do, it's, it's not convenient. Well, what happened to him wasn't convenient, but it could have been life-threatening. And he would have been one of these people filling up that lack that Paul is speaking. Everybody getting the examples? Okay. There is a need, a lack. They are the ones who are filling that need. This is, as he says, for the sake of his body, here it is, which is the church. There's nothing lacking in what Christ did. There's nothing lacking in our faith in what Christ did. It's neither one of those. It is a lack for the church. The church is what needs to be filled up. If the message is going out as Christ commanded, there will be afflictions associated with it. Were it not so, he would not have told his followers to take up their cross. He wouldn't have said, you know, in this world you will have troubles, but I have overcome the world. And he wouldn't have said any of those things. He would have said, go on out, tell people about Jesus. The whole world's going to be evangelized. Reformed theology is correct. We're going to issue, uh, usher in the millennium, and it's going to be beautiful. Okay, that's not what he said at all. And that will never, ever happen. They think that they're ushering in the millennium and someday Christ is going to prevail over all of the wickedness of the world through our preaching. That's not going to happen. Noah preached for 100 plus years, 120 years was it? While the ark was being built, he was given yet 120 years. And uh, what verse is that? It's um, uh, chapter six, yes. Genesis chapter six. Okay, and in the meantime, from when the Lord said this, Yet man's days. That's what it is. And it's a verse that a lot of people get wrong. I'm going in the wrong direction again. Okay. Um, four, five, and six. And it says here somewhere, chapter five, chapter six. Where is it? Um, uh, the Lord said, my spirit, verse three, six, three, shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. It's not speaking of man is going to live to 120 years. It's saying that his days, the days of man on this earth are now confined to 120 years. And after that, the world is going to be destroyed. Okay, judgment is coming. And so what did Noah do? According to the New Testament, he was a preacher of righteousness. He was out there telling people, you need to get ready. Okay, he's building an ark and they're laughing at him. That's what's happening in the world right now. We've got people out there telling other people, Hold fast to your values. Hold fast to your values. People need Jesus. You need to hear this message. 
because the book is written and the judgment is coming. And we don't know. We don't, we're not Noah. We're not given the day that it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And, you know, I don't want to speculate, but I would like to think that as bad as things are now, it'll be soon. Okay, I hope so. All right. I, but I'm not one to, the Lord, he's got his timeline. We have no idea what he's doing. And so, I mean, we have, we have the overall picture, but I am not a date setter. And, I, you know, when people ask me to set a date, that ain't going to happen. Okay. Um, uh, let's see here. Where were we? If the message is going out as Christ commanded, yes, I said that. Uh, this continues even now as the message continuously finds those who wish to crush it and persecute it and those who proclaim it. Barack Obama, okay? What's his name? Clinton, you could say, well, Clinton was a bad guy. And I've always said that I think in the United States of America, the, the division really started. There's always been division. I mean, that, don't get me wrong. But it really started between the parties with Bill Clinton because he refused during the uh, election cycle when they were, the, what do you call it when they're uh, campaigning? The campaign cycle. He refused to acknowledge George Bush as Mr. President. That's the first time that happened. They purposely told him, do not address him as president. He never did. And that was a disrespect to the office. It was a disrespect to the person who held the office. And from that time, things have gone downhill. But I don't think he was the source of what we're seeing in the world right now, the, the persecution of Christians. That came with his predecessor. Okay, Obama, not George Bush, but Obama. Okay, George Bush was a terrible president, but he didn't persecute the church and he wasn't trying to get rid of Christianity in America. Okay, Bill Clinton, somebody wrote a, an article one time which surprised me. And I've always thought about this because I believe in eternal salvation. Okay, you know that I believe that and that is what the Bible teaches. It's not just that I believe it, it is what the Bible teaches. Okay, one time somebody wrote an article, somebody that knew him well, and he was talking to him about something and he somehow he brought in the Bible and Bill Clinton said, oh, he opened his drawer, pulled out a well-worn Bible and went to whatever passage or whatever. I don't remember the rest of the story, but he had right in his top drawer a Bible. For all I know, Bill Clinton is saved. I have no idea. Or maybe he just wanted to refer to it like a lot of other presidents did that weren't saved. I have no idea. If he was saved, he is saved, okay? But I can tell you that there is enmity for Christianity since Barack Obama, and that is not stopped. That has gone unabated in the Congress, and then the presidency was taken again by his person, and we are seeing, we are seeing the downfall of this nation. And so we need to remember that this is happening, and we need to be prepared for it, and we need to be willing to say, I will be a part of the suffering of Christ's body. Okay, I, I'm not to scare anybody. Like I said, it could be another hundred years. We might get a good president and a good uh, Congress and things might slow down for a while. I don't know, but we need to be prepared to be the ones that say, I will suffer for Jesus name. I'm not going to waffle in my convictions, even if they put me in a concentration camp. Oh yeah, right here. Lothar gave me this shirt. That's exactly, she's pointing at it. It says, stay strong, okay? And it references a verse that you wouldn't expect. You know, it'd be like, uh, stay strong and the power of his might and all that kind of stuff. It's a verse, listen stand, to- Stand strong. Stand strong, okay, thank you, stand strong. I'm reading it upside down, so, um, and I'm dyslexic too, so I got two of them wrong. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter five, they cite in the little letters below it. You would not expect this from a stay strong. You'd want somebody like, Joshua stood strong, stay strong, you know, something like that. Listen to the words, therefore, 
comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. You want to stay strong? Stay strong by comforting each other and standing in the Lord Jesus. I would not have expected this when I pulled that out and that they would put that first, but that is a great verse for staying strong. Comfort each other, edify one another. If you get angry at each other, you know, be willing to forgive, be willing to say, I'm sorry, you know, send an email and say, try to work it out. Sometimes it can't be worked out, I understand, but building each other up and edifying is will help you to stand strong, okay? So, the physical body of Christ Jesus suffered for our sake so that we could become a part of the mystical body of Christ, the church. This body, not Jesus' physical body, which was lacking something, it was not. This body, the church, continues to suffer until the church is complete. That will continue. There is no way around that if people are willing to do their job. If they're going to be in a church where they don't use this book, they may never suffer, okay? They may just have the money rolling in and a bunch of people with their heads buried deeply in the sand. But if you are going to proclaim this word, you are going to suffer, okay? This has nothing to do with atonement or earning our way into glory, but it is the natural result of carrying the message in a world which needs to hear the good news of Jesus, okay? That is the importance of this. And like I say, you may never, you talk to a thousand people at a thousand dinners out at restaurants and you may never have anybody persecute you for it. But you just don't know. You don't know. They may come out and they say, you know, my mom was a Christian and she just beat that into my head and they come with you a steak knife and kill you before you even stand up. You don't know, okay? But you got to do it. If you don't, that lady may never hear of Jesus or the guy that comes up next. So at least be willing to leave a tract. You know, I mean, that doesn't cost you anything. Um, life application. Not all will suffer, as Paul speaks of here. But for those who do, they are filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the church. This is not something to be ashamed of, but to glory in. Let us rejoice if we do suffer in the process of sharing the gospel. It means we are a step closer to the day when the church is complete. Okay? That's our job. It's our job to do this. So be willing to speak up for Christ. And, uh, you know, I would hope and pray that nobody here has to suffer in some terrible way because of it. But if you do, and, you know, you're out there telling somebody about Jesus and they throw uh, acid in your face and you're disfigured for the rest of your life and you don't have any eyes and you send me an email and say, Charlie, I had this happen to me because of that. Oh, I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, I'm very sorry. I truly am sorry that this has happened to you. And guess what? You're going to get new eyes someday. You're going to be given a body that will last forever. So you've suffered for Christ. He is going to reward you. Okay? This is what you would hope. All right. We're in 125. Okay. Should I, should I read the uh, Young's from now you, If you want to read Young's, yeah. now it's going to be the same... Uh, oh, it is? It's okay, gonna, no, that's it. fine. You can read. If you want, read Young's and NASB. Okay. Okay? Because Young's is so literal that it, you're yeah. going to get things that other people are not going to give you. So go ahead and read both okay. and just tell which one you're reading first. Okay. So I'll start with NASB. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Now the Young says, of which I... 
I did become a ministrant according to the dispensation of God that was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Way closer. This yeah. one is way closer to the, yeah, the, the NASB and this one are way different. So you go back to the NASB and listen to the difference. 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. It's completely different. They, Very different. This, the NSB had for your benefit, and then that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word. Yep, yep. And also they called it a, uh, no, uh, Young's called it a dispensation. Anyway, but the wording was very similar with, but you can see how rigid Young's is. But that's fine. Rigid is good as long as it's close to the word. Okay. Uh, 125, the words of which from, oh, I got to read it so that you have mine as well, because did I read it? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, the words of which are speaking of the church as referred to in the previous verse. And they, they actually inserted the church in there again to clarify it, okay? But uh, that's what it's speaking of. It's going back to the church. Um, Paul states that he, Paul, has become a minister according to the stewardship, which Young's called the dispensation. Uh, the word is uh, a household, oikimenos, I think is what the word is in the Greek. Anyway, um, in verse 23, he had stated that he was a minister of the gospel. At other times, he states he is a minister of God and of Christ. The gospel is the message of God that Paul serves. It is the story of Christ, who is his Lord. And the church is his, meaning Christ's body, which receives that message of Christ, from God. Everything is tied together. All are intricately tied together. Paul's, yes, it is. There's the word. Paul's ministering to the church is, as he says, according to the stewardship. The word is oikonomia, okay? And it indicates an administration of affairs, such as the stewardship of a household, okay? So that's what he's speaking of there. Young said dispensation, which kind of gives a different sense to me, but I don't know if it meant something. That's one thing about reading old translations is you can read something and it means something completely different than it does today. Uh, somebody emailed me about um, the King James Version, okay, he uh, a day ago. I've got um, on my page the errors in the King James Version. He was miffed at me because I included one about the unicorn. But I was correct in what I said. I said, Whatever unicorn may have meant in the past, it doesn't mean that today, okay? That was my point, and I was very clear, but he kind of took offense at that. He says, well, if you go back to the Old English, a unicorn is a one-horned animal like a rhinoceros. And I said, I said that. It doesn't matter what it meant in the past. It doesn't mean that anymore. I said, but the problem with the King James Version is that it says unicorns, the horns of unicorns. A unicorn is... One. one horn. So either way, you've got a contradiction in the translation. doesn't matter what you do, you've got a contradiction. But people want to find a fault in what you're saying, which he just didn't read it. He was so upset that he just overlooked what I had said. It doesn't matter what it used to be. It's not anymore, okay? And when you read some of the older translations like Young's, the word dispensation, I don't know what it actually meant to him in comparison to stewardship of today. But um, it's a fine translation, I'm sure, for his time, but it, I, it just doesn't make the same sense as a stewardship of a household, okay? Paul was selected to be the particular minister according to the administration of God's dealings in the world through the church, the body of Christ. As noted, this stewardship, Paul says, is from God. God has laid out the plan of the ages, 
and it is slowly unfolding in the stream of time. At this time, the church is how God is dealing with the affairs of his household. God has a household. At one time, his affairs were, my household is two people down on this planet that I've created, and this is the household, and here is how I'm going to administer it. You have free reign to do anything you want, except, and I gave him one command, and it was in the negative. Don't do this. It wasn't like, I want you to do this, and oh, I'm too tired today. I'm not going to do it. That wasn't it. It was one simple thing. Don't do this. And his household, the people of his household, could not bear up under the stress, apparently. Okay? And so he had another. I guess dispensation may get it if you're thinking of the whole look of what's going on. Because a dispensation is kind of, it, it actually could be a, a, a good way of looking at that. Because you've got the household, the dispensation of Eden. Then you've got the one after it, okay? And then you've got the one after that. And so dispensation kind of gives a more full sense of the, the time frame, but not so much what's going on in the time frame, unless you explain it more. I, I, I looked it up here, okay. and they say this word, it's what you're saying, it's household stewardship. And it said, uh, but the secondary meaning dispensation, dispensation can refer to a specific period of time, right. but that's primary, but also the secondary meaning is household. Household. Okay, so he was thinking of household. Probably, yeah. Old English or something, yeah. but he used that, and so it's fine. Today, a dispensationalism, we more think of it as, uh, because of dispensationalism, we think of it as the time, and there are things going on within that time. So um, I, I'm glad you did that, because that gives us both senses of it. Okay, so anyway, Paul was selected to be the particular minister according to the administration of God's dealings in the world through the church the body of Christ. As noted, this stewardship is from God. Okay, here I'm going to read this again now. God has laid out the plan of the ages, and it is slowly unfolding in the stream of time. At this time, the church is how God is dealing with the affairs of his household. And then I went back and I gave you the example of Eden, and I gave you the example of, you know, Abraham came along, and I am now going to work out my stewardship of this household. Whoever the people included in this household are, you will live by faith but you have a sign of that living out by faith, and that sign is circumcision, okay? So there's a little added into there, which is not in our dispensation, and the reason why is because the sign is actually done by God, not by man. We are circumcised, and we're gonna see that this Sunday, aren't we? It, we started last week with chapter five, didn't we? Yep. Yes, so we're gonna finish that up uh, this week, and we're gonna see about the circumcision and the answer to that, remember the Hill of Foreskins last week? Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, she does. Well, Sergio seems to be sleeping. Or I, I, I watched mostly in church. He was lying on Rhoda's shoulder. So, no. Anyway, uh, yeah, okay. So, that's we're going to have that explained. That's right. This Sunday, we're going to do that. And then um, there's also other things that are coming in in the last uh, five uh, verses or so. 10 through 15, is that it? Anyway, so we've got that. And um, uh, also, this is, I think, the chapter, yeah, I, I won't get into it. But anyway, that's all going to be explained this week. We do not have to circumcise because the sign of circumcision is fulfilled. God does it in us now, okay? But we'll talk about that and why that is the case. That is what was going on at that time, that dispensation within the stewardship of what God was doing. Okay, so there you go. Uh, we're in the dis this, the church age is called the dispensation of grace. That's right. Paul's duties as a minister in this capacity are 
as he says, given to me for you. He is writing to those at Colossae, which is a Gentile church. Okay, and because he's doing that, and because Colossae is included in the Bible, once again, he's writing it to us as well. Even if it was for the Colossians, he's including us, God is including us in this letter to them. This letter, along with the other signed letters, all to Gentiles are authoritative for the Gentile-led church age because he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the apostle to the uncircumcision, just as Peter is the apostle to the circumcision. Okay, but this does not mean, and people come to this conclusion, oh, well, if there's an apostle to the Gentiles and there's an apostle to the Jews, then that means that there are two separate gospels. That is incorrect, okay? I'm talking about that constantly through the Acts 10 commentary. But if you want to see that perfectly described, if you're too dull to get it from the Acts 10 commentary, or if you're, I shouldn't say dull, if you're too biased, you are already got a presupposition that uh, Acts is written and there's a gospel to the Jews and a gospel to the Gentiles. If you want to get rid of all of that baggage and find out what's true, go back and watch the Joshua sermons from Joshua 1. We're up to Joshua 5, 10 through 15 this week. And there's, there's no doubt, especially in the Joshua 3 and 4 sermons, that there's one gospel and that God is working that gospel out to a group of people here, which is the nation of Israel, and he's also working it out to anybody here, Jew and Gentile. And so this thing over here, why would God do this? Why would God have the, the nation of Israel separate from the church? Because he made promises to that nation. And he's not going to break his promises to that nation, even if he has a church over here. And so they had no idea that God was ever going to include Gentiles. Israel had no idea about this. And so Israel is thinking it's about us, and they've got all these wonderful promises. And all of a sudden, Israel is disobedient to the Lord. Oh, my gosh. Lothar and me are in the car today, and we're listening to Jeremiah, and we're both saying, boy, is that America today. Every time you go through Jeremiah, if you can't see the United States of America in Germany, in the UK, and all these once Christian nations right there, and the church itself, Lothar says, just like you're in the church. You go into one of these crazy churches, and that's what he's talking about. The idols all over the place. Anyway. Um, uh, when you say the uh, gospel, um one gospel for both yes. ex, uh, uh, expense. Uh, Jew and Gentile. Yeah, what is the definition of gospel in this case? Is it good, the news. Of Christ? good news. Okay. The good news. The gospel is okay. the euangelia. It means okay. good news. Okay, but seeing as how you asked that, before we go on, I'm going to stop right there. Okay, um, I want to just show you how you can know that it's one gospel. Uh, now, Paul says this is the gospel, and then he also says elsewhere, my gospel. And he's not saying that it is his gospel. It's the gospel that he, my, I proclaim. It doesn't mean that it's his own gospel. But in, um, what is it, 1 Corinthians 15. Anybody brings you a different gospel than this? Well, no, that is um, Galatians 1. In 1 Corinthians 15, he gives the gospel in 3 and 4. Okay, everybody know that? Christ died for your sins. Yeah. Um, let me just yeah. read it. Um, uh, Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And then he tells who heard this. He says, you know, Cephas heard it and, and um, uh, all these things. But then he goes down and he says um, in verse 11, verse 11, okay, he was speaking about 
Peter, and he's speaking about who was with Peter, uh, somebody. And then he also speaks about uh, the, the 12, and he speaks, he was speaking about all these people. And then he says, let me give you the gospel. And then he says in verse 11, therefore, whether it was I, Paul, or they, all the people that I've been speaking about, so we preach, and so you believed. They didn't preach one thing, and Paul preached another. They preached one thing, and they all preached the same thing, but they had a different target audience. You know what? If Ray Willett came back to America, which I hope he would take a vacation and someday and visit us, but if he doesn't, that's fine. But if he does, he is going to say, I am the apostle to Papua New Guinea, right? And if he goes over to Israel, you know, Sergio decides to move back to Nazareth and he says, I'm going to be a missionary in Nazareth. He's going to say, I am a missionary to the Jewish people. That doesn't mean there's two gospels. It means that this is the focus of my ministry. That's all Paul was saying. That is all God is doing with Paul. Okay. People can't seem to get that. They want to hold on to something sensational. They want to hold on to something new. And they, by doing that, preach what she said, a false gospel. They are now saying that you were saved differently if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. That is a heresy. I'm sorry about that for those people, but they will have to stand before the Lord and they will face him and they will have to tell him why they said that there were two different gospels when there is one gospel. Anyway, okay. His commission, what? Go ahead. Okay. His commission is noted in Acts 9, Paul's. And it is a duty which he faithfully executed in order to fulfill the word of God. That was, he was apostle to the Gentiles and he is fulfilling the word of God toward the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews, the circumcision, and he was fulfilling his duties to the word of God to the Jewish people. It's the same word of God, okay? The nation of Israel takes on a different meaning because God promised them different things. He promised that they would be the nation in charge of the world someday, or at the head of the nations, as I believe how it's termed. Anyway, and so he's not going to let that go unfulfilled. That was all that was going on in the stream of time. He's making promises to them if they'll simply believe and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't mean that those promises are now abrogated because Christ came and they rejected him. It means that they rejected him and they've got to be brought back into the picture, all seen in these sermons right here. Okay, the Greek here. The Greek uh, indicates to fill up the word of God. Paul said to fulfill the word of God, or the translation did. The Greek says to fill up the word of God. His duties as a minister of God was to teach and to make fully known the word of God to the Gentile world. The salvation, instruction, and growth of the Gentile-led church is the object of his calling in ministry. That's all there is to it. it he, his object is the Gentiles. Peter's object was the Jews. That doesn't mean Peter, we're in Acts 10 right now. Who is the subject of Acts 10? Cornelius. Cornelius. And who is it that evangelizes Peter? I'm, uh, evangelizes Cornelius. Peter. Peter, right, yeah, okay. So Peter is telling them about it. And he talked to other Gentiles as well. And Paul talked to Jews. First thing, every time, when he went to a new town, even if it's a uh, Gentile area, he went to the synagogue first. He's given the same message. It's just that the Jews kept rejecting it. Okay? There's a reason why Acts is written in the structure it's written. Go ahead. Acts 20, 27. Acts 20, 27. 
Let me see what it says there because I'm just not cluing into X 2027. Burke can do that. I can't. I have to actually, numbers mean less to me. Although I never forget a phone number or a social security number. I still remember the social security number of my commander from the 475th Services Squadron 35 years later, okay? Uh, at 2720 or 2027, okay? So uh, it upsets this person that when I, she calls or I call her, the first thing I say is I just spat off the top of my head the social security number and it's like, would you stop that? Okay, um, 2027. Um, let's see here, um, where is it? Okay, I'm getting there. For I have, yeah, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's to the Ephesians. He's writing to the Ephesians. Absolutely. Says, so, mine, mine says I didn't shrink. From I didn't this. shrink. Shun, shrink. He didn't SH one way or another. He no, didn't he shun or shrink <laughs> from telling them the whole counsel of God. This person says fully carried out. Right. The preaching of the God. Fully carried out. And that's what he's saying right here. So that's it's, what it is. It's, it's a perfect uh, uh, connection to that. That's what he says. Okay, so to fill up the word of God. Okay, I'll read this again. The salvation, instruction, and growth of the Gentile-led church is the object of his, Paul's, calling and ministry. As it said in Acts 20, 27. Further, in his actions, he is also filling up the word of God in the sense that this was prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures. The Gentiles would come to God through the work of Christ. The Jews just didn't acknowledge that, but it's as clear as it can be in the book of Isaiah. It is so clear, I don't know how they couldn't have gotten it. But there it is, right there in the book of Isaiah. It says it like three times, okay? I will make you, speaking of somebody, a light to the Gentiles, etc. okay? It's too small of a thing to bring back the redeemed of Israel. That verse, uh, what is it, 65 something? Anyway, um, uh, the Gentiles would come to God through the work of Christ. And Paul's efforts are what was now accomplishing that. Those efforts continue on to this day as his letters set the authoritative standard for this dispensation. Okay, good stuff. Um, uh, I think it was in the 40s, not 65. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. Anyway, it's, it's in uh, Isaiah 40-something. I don't know. Anyway, and it says it like three or four times in different ways. Life application. To understand what God is doing in the world through the church one must refer to Paul's letters. The Lord selected him to give us the authoritative letters of instruction for this dispensation. To ignore, and the reason why I don't include Peter and James isn't because what they're saying is not relevant to us. It is. But, I've gone through this before and I'll do it again one of these days, is the structure of the Bible itself. The structure of the Bible gives us the uh, the model for dispensationalism. Where these books are, Paul's letters come after Acts. You see the transition, transition from Peter to Paul. It's from Acts 1, 12, 1 through 12, and then 13 through 28. The first 12 are Peter, from 13 to 28 are Paul. Okay, so you're seeing the transition. You're seeing from Jerusalem to Rome. You're seeing from Jew to Gentile. And then from there, the first book after that is Romans, and it goes Romans all the way through Philemon, all to Gentile people, okay? And this is based on the prophecy that was given by Noah to his sons. Japheth, may he dwell in the tents of Shem. That prophecy shows us the structure of the Bible, and the structure of the Bible shows us what's going on in the dispensations. As soon as the dispensation ends, okay, it reverts to the book of Hebrews, 
it's written to the Jewish people. It doesn't mean it's not relevant for us because it is. Christ died for our sins. He's our atoning sacrifice. He's blah, blah, blah. He's all the things that he speaks about, but he's speaking to the Hebrews. And guess what? I am 100% sure. I know other people disagree on this, but Paul is the author to the Hebrews. He certainly wrote that. There are many reasons why it's the case. People want to dispute that, and it doesn't matter if he isn't, but he is. And so that shows you that Paul is still writing the same thought process all the way through. But now it's directed to the Hebrews because he wants to get the message to them as well. Okay, And then from there, it goes into James, and it goes into Peter, and you've got these epistles which are written specifically for the end times Jews. It doesn't mean that they're not relevant to us, but there is a target audience. So I don't want people to say, well, that's not written for us, and so we don't need to read it. We need to read it. We need to understand what's written. But Paul is the one that is setting the tone because we're Gentiles about what is going on that we need to know. That's the main thing. It's not to dismiss anything else, but to find the target audience. Paul is the Gentile with this one gospel to this group of people. Peter is the, did I say Paul is a Gentile? Paul is the apostle. I don't, maybe I didn't. I, I say things and then I realize maybe I said something wrong. Okay, the other one is that Peter is the apostle to this group of people with the same gospel. There's a different target audience. That's the only difference. The Lord selected him, Paul, to give us the authoritative letters of instruction for this dispensation. To ignore Paul will lead to one having a vast gap in proper theology. I think that's wrong there, okay? Um, a complete misunderstanding of what God intends for his church will be the result. And you know what? That's why people ignore the, God, the uh, epistles of Paul. All these liberal churches don't even refer to him. And if they do, they just take out the verses that sound really nice, like, you know, the comfort of God and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they, they skip the, the deep theology of Paul because it doesn't fit with their worldview. Kumbaya, okay? A complete misunderstanding of what God intends for his church will be the result. Take time each week to read one of Paul's letters. You could read all of Paul's letters in like an hour. I mean, it's not that long, okay? If you read one a week, you're going to be ahead. Any can be read in a single day. Actually, some of them can be read in 10 minutes, okay? If one is read each week, they can all be read in three months. If you do this always, you will have read all of Paul's epistles four times every single year. Now, Billy Graham and his wife, I heard this several times. I think he said it during his crusades. My wife and I always read, anybody remember? The Psalms. Five the Psalms every single day. Yeah. Now, imagine when they got to Psalm 119. Boy, that's a long day. Okay, <laughs> but five Psalms every day. If you instead did that with Paul's letters your theology would be deeply developed in no time at all. Okay, now I'm not saying don't read five psalms a day too. That's fine. You're going to be uplifted. You're going to be angry at the wicked in the world. You're going to say, man, that's the president right now and all that kind of, you're going to get a feeling for what emotions will do when you're close to God. Okay, just like David, break the teeth in their mouth, oh God. Okay, he's angry at the sinners. He's angry at them. Okay, and we are to have those emotions. We're not to not be angry at the sin of the world. But at the same time, the Psalms will also ask for mercy and grace and all these other things. So you're going to get uplifted. But if you want the sounder theology, just commit to reading one Pauline epistle a week. And sometimes you're going to finish it on Monday morning while you're drinking your coffee. And sometimes you might have to read it, you know, over the whole day. And you're done. And then read another one next week. And in, um, what was it, three months, you're going to have them all done, start it again four times a year, 
all of that's done. Yes. Timothy, all scripture is given by all scripture. And you use that for teaching. Absolutely. All scripture. It's just not always relevant in the same way at the same time. But all scripture can be used. Look at this lesson. Look at this person that did this. You're getting a fuller understanding of what's going Charlie on. Charlie once told me you, you read the Bible in the morning. Yes. And then you also read before sleep, right? Yes. Do you have a certain pattern that you do it or just go? Uh, I just start at the beginning and get to the end and then start again. And, okay. and in the evening you continue what you read in the morning? No, morning. no, no. I read a different Bible. A diff okay. I read two Bibles and then during the day, you know, I'm answering questions and stuff. And so I, I, I get more time in the Bible all day long. Okay. Um, uh, my sweet friend over in the Czech Republic had a great question today. And so she said, I'm kind of confused about this. What do I do? You know who I'm talking about, Maya. Okay. And so I, I last night I read that and Lothar had just come in and we had been out working. I'm all cut up and bleeding. And I'm like, I, I, I got to set this aside and do this tomorrow because I don't want to give her a, a sloppy answer. And so she had to wait 15 hours or something. Sorry, Maya. But anyway, I thought today I'll, I'll sit down and I'll type this up. And so I'm in the Bible all day personally, but if you are not in the ministry and you got a real life to live, then what you want, I don't mean a real life, I mean, uh, then what you want to do is you want to at least read it when you wake up and read it before you go to bed. Um, now, I had some people that were visiting, oh, last night, did I read the Bible? Did I go upstairs and brush my teeth last night? I did. So I did read the Bible. Okay, I was really tired. Uh, some people last week, I left my night Bible in the bathroom in their room where you're staying. And so, um, which is our room. When people come, they stay in our room and I sleep on the couch downstairs because there's not enough room in the small room. Anyway, um, so um, uh, when they were here, I forgot my Bible and I didn't get to read my Bible. And the next day I got up and I thought, that's very rare, very rare. So anyway. Um, that was the thing when we first met you, Rhoda and I, we were always thought, well, pastors say what to do because they're reading their Bible or at least those who are supposed to. And then we're like, well, we can do what they tell us, like in application sermons. But I figure out that this, the, the secret sauce is in the Word of God. And in the when Word. we met you, we're like, wow, you're always in the Word all day long. And so Rod and I start reading every morning, and that changed our lives. It was this very Word. And then you think about it throughout the day. You find something in the morning, you go, oh, wow, what is this? It could be a question you don't understand. And you think about it throughout the entire day, even if you're working other jobs or anywhere. It's, it's in your mind and you're thinking about the what? It carries you through the day. And my favorite thing, my favorite thing of all, he knows this, we kind of talked about it today, is that uh, it's not as, uh, it's funny, Sergio is a night guy. And so when he was in Israel, I messaged him back and forth all day long. And he's the only person I'll do this with. Anybody else has to get into the queue and I'll answer when I answer. But with him, it's just all day long. And uh, I, I messaged him two days ago, which I showed the message to Lothar. And I said, um, uh, I said to Sergio, I said, I never get to talk to you anymore. And he says, well, I'm just going to move back to Israel so I can spend more time with Charlie. <laughs> it's funny because he's right here and I don't talk to him as much because I'm awake when they're asleep. But my favorite thing is when he wakes up and he reads the Bible and he sends me what he read and how excited he is about this particular passage. You know, say, can you tell me about this? Or I found this and what do you think about it? And that's my favorite thing because he's so excited about the word. And I, it gets me re-excited. Even after I've read, I get re-excited. And so I love that. I love that, that they're in the word. They find things that are exciting and that are uplifting to them. And then they'll share that with me. So that always makes my day. We, we got to finish, yes. Go ahead. My son Paul and his wife and their son was over and we was playing phase 10 the other night. Oh. And we was on eight out of 10. And 
Janet's phone goes ding, ding, ding. Upstairs, hold it. And they got their phones and they was reading from Matthew. He says it's our, our family time to read. Oh. And we had a Bible study Good. with Matthew right there. Right there. 11 o'clock. Good for you. Said, Make it a priority. It's everyday thing. Oh, yes. Wherever we are. Make it a priority. I'm so glad to hear that. If you make the phone goes off. When the phone goes off, you stop everything else. And I like that. Make the Bible your priority, and your life is going to be better. I, I promise you. Okay, we got to finish. we got two minutes left. A complete misunderstanding of what God intends for his church will be the result. Take, oh, I read that. Um, if you do this always, reading Paul's letters, you will have read them four times in a single year, and that is just one letter a week. And then read your Bible also, elsewhere. I'm telling you, in addition to your normal Bible reading, read Paul one letter a week, and you're going to be way better off. Okay, we've got just enough time. One more time to remind those, if you did not come into this at the beginning, there's a couple of appeals for money uh, to help Isaac build a house. I'll mention this again on Sunday. I will not mention the uh, thing for um, uh, the Philippines on Sunday because if I don't get an answer within 24 hours, I'm just going to pay it and be done with it because I want this girl to have that money to have the court case taken care of. And it's not a lot, but I thought I'd give somebody the opportunity to uh, help a wonderful person that needs help over in the Philippines. Okay, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to uh, come into your presence and to share in your word and to just revel in it. What a gift your word is. What an absolute gift. And Lord, help us to be responsible with it and to apply it to our lives and to think on it and ponder it and all the days of our life, just let it sink down into our souls. Thank you for this word until you come for us and we see the word in his fullness before our eyes and may that day be soon. Thank you. And we pray this in Lord in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, let me back this up. Okay, we're gonna go to break.